0: well hello everyone and i hope that you've had a great week and now I hope you have your Bibles. I hope you, when you, when we don't have questions to follow, I hope that you are making sure that your, that your Bibles are open and, um, and that's our format anyway. Whether we do questions, isn't it? That when we, when we do it together, we go verse by verse. So I hope your Bibles are open and we're in First John chapter three. Such a terrific chapter. So, but before we start, would you pray with me, please? Father, we come before you now and we love your word and we love how much um, you tell us that you love us and but that you you have terms that we are to follow. You have commands that you expect from us. So, Lord, as we come into this chapter of First John chapter three, may we be so in tune with your Spirit that we hear what you want us to hear. That that we are really conscientious. That this is our God talking to us, and you are telling us what what's going to make us the best at what we are. So, Father, we just pray that as we go into this, that we will just feel your personal touch and that we'll feel your personal love and that your personal desire for us to know you better. And we pray this all in Jesus' name, who makes life worth living. Amen. All right. 1 John chapter 3, how great is the love the Father has, on, has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. I have to tell you, I, I stopped and, and pondered that verse because there's so, so many beautiful words that just kind of feel like one big hug. And it says, how great. And if you remember last week, we talked about how great the love of Jesus is. And we said how wide. It's so wide that it includes everyone. It's so long that it will last for all eternity. It's so deep because it will reach the most defiled and it's so high that it will reach all the way to heaven. He'll take us all the way to heaven. So that's how great his love is for us. And and then it says that the father has lavished. I mean, lavished means not stingy. He's lavishing it on us. And that is, that's so endearing when you think that he doesn't hold any back. He just wants to have the most that, that he can give us. And I just pray that you are sensing and feeling how lavishly loved that you are by our God. And that we can be called. I mean, I think this is probably one of the biggest proofs of his love, is that he is willing to call us children of God. We are his children. And that makes us a family. And then that then the way John writes with an exclamation point, and that is what we are. When you know Jesus as your savior and you've accepted that that love, that that unconditional, that grace filled love then then you are called his children we have the right to be called his children now sometimes that is misinterpreted that that we're all God's children that every every person that he has created they're all God's children and that's not true Now we have to make sure that we know that, well, John said it, he explained it the best in his gospel in John 1.12, but as many as receive him, to them have the right to become children of God, those who believe on his name. So we have to make sure that we understand that term about being a child of God, that that is not open for everyone. It's only for those who receive him and believe in his name. They're the ones that have the right to become and to be called his child. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him now, that word know, we talked a little bit about it last week. It, it's the, the word know is a real close, tight relationship. It is not just a frivolous, oh yeah, I know about. No, when you're in a real tight, close relationship with him, you know him. This is a very intimate phrase. And the reason the world doesn't know us Sometimes I put, the reason the world doesn't get me, the the reason why some people just think I'm over the top, or some people just think that I'm just way too religious, all these terms. They don't get it. They They don't know me because they don't know him. See, family members know each other for the most part. You know, family, we know each other. And, and in this relationship, he's saying, no, they're not part of the family, so they're not going to understand you. They're not going to get you. And they won't really know you. And then John goes, dear friends. And I happened to look that up in the King James, and I kind of liked that better because it's typical of John. he calls it, instead of dear friends, it's beloved beloved and remember that's what he he looked at himself as the one jesus loved the beloved and he's talking to christians here when he's writing this letter and he is calling us beloved wrap yourself in that know how loved you are do you know that that's the bottom line to us blossoming into into this relationship is that we understand that he loves us. No matter who we are, what we've done, he loves us. And John will explain more next time about in the next chapter about what that love really entails. But for now, beloved, now we are children of God And what we will be has not yet been made known. John is pretty much saying to you and I, it's so wonderful to be loved by him. It's so wonderful to be called his child. And it's so wonderful to know that we belong. But we've seen nothing yet. He's got so much more to change us into. Not only here, but but most of all for how we will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. And as John will say in the next verse, how we will be like him. So he wants us to see that the beloved, you and I, we will be as not yet, we don't know yet just how great it is. Now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. That's just, a, it's a verse that he says, anticipate, be excited that there is so much more to come. But we do know this, how, how great it is and how, how much we're going to be changed. That we don't, we can't even fathom. But he said the one thing we do know the one thing we know for sure is that when Jesus appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. We shall be like him. Now, I know there's many reasons we are anxious to go to heaven I think sometimes we are so excited to see loved ones. We're excited to to meet great men and women of God. We're so excited to be able to think that we are really going to meet Paul and Moses. I mean, they're actual people that we will actually meet. The thought of walking on streets of gold to walk through those pearly gates. I mean, all that is almost unfathomable for our human brain, but but yet it's what we what we've been promised and we know is true. But I think John is saying here, as great and as wonderful as all those reasons are, the reason we should want to go to heaven is because we want to see him and we know that when we when he appears we will not only see him but we will be like him we will see him just as he is And if you've been through Revelation, that should just put your imagination all into um, an exciting motion because John spelled out so about the majesticness, the glory of Jesus. And to think that we will see him just as he is and we shall be even like him. Verse 3, everyone, every one of his children who has this hope in him, everyone who has this hope, not everyone, but everyone who has this hope in him, that means who is his child, who is a part of the family, in him purifies himself just as he is pure. So the fact, I think what John is trying to say, it could be that as long as you know that you will see him as he is and you will be like him, just the very thought that you're going to see him face to face, doesn't that give you a little more momentum to want to purify yourself every day a little bit more? And that's why in the next verses, he's going to get into that about sin, you should be changing. You should be seeing yourself sin less and less. You should be seeing yourself, S-E-L-F. You should be seeing that less and less as you are purifying yourself through his spirit, through his word. In verse 4, everyone who sins, so here's the contrast. What do you want? Do you want to you use your time here and you want to do what he commands and you want to see yourself turning more and more like Jesus so that when you see him face to face you will have nothing to, to be embarrassed or ashamed about. That you are working toward and even though we talked about it before is that, that you think, well, Of course I'm going to sin. As long as we are in these bodies living in this world, we are going to sin. However, are you seeing change? Is the very thought that you are going to see him, should that that be motivating you to purify yourself that you see less and less of yourself every day and more and more of his character? Everyone who sins breaks the law. Everyone who sins breaks the law. What law? the law of God? I found something this weekend. I've got to tell you, I wrote it down because I was quite amazed by it. When we're talking about sin, you know we have an idea in our on our minds, you know what are the big sins? And you know, even though sin is sin, I don't care. And as long as we're human, we seem to categorize sins and level them like those that can't be seen so much, aren't as bad as the ones that are huge. Well, there are, I found, ten sins that Jesus condemns most harshly in Scripture. These ten sins, and I was I was really quite amazed by them, because in my head, I, when I read the title, 10 Sins That the Scripture Really Harshly Talks Most About, that Jesus, well, he condemns. The 10 most sins that Jesus condemns. The number one, of course, is unbelief. When we choose not to believe believe in Him, and then the the desire to, to want to be like Him. Thinking that we are in our own power and strength. We are who we are. It's, oh, we are really something. And the second one is, so unbelief is the number one. Number two is pride. See, when, you, when you're walking this world and you have all your eggs in one basket and that is to have everyone see you and to make sure they know your importance and your worth is based on what people think of you. And I found out too that pride really almost think you almost think that you're a little superior. And so, okay, unbelief, pride, and they, they all just, Go together really. The third one selfishness. Selfishness. Fourth, hypocrisy. Fifth, greed. Sixth, unforgiveness. Seventh, hatred. Eighth, disobedience. Ninth, judging others. Tenth, an impure heart. Well, did you notice maybe some of the big sins that you thought were so huge, they're not even on that list. And I noticed that these 10 sins that Jesus, Jesus condemns most harshly in scripture are pretty much all inward. Inward. And we know that what's in us comes out out of us so that's why we're having to work so hard and making sure that that Jesus changes us from the inside because the body will follow so let me just say them again to you number one is unbelief Two, pride three selfishness fourth hypocrisy fifth greed sixth unforgiveness seventh hatred Eighth, disobedience. Ninth, judging others. Tenth, an impure heart. That's what he calls lawlessness. When you sin, basically, you, are, you sin is a disregarding of God himself. You don't really care about him and what he has said and what he's even going to think if you do this. It's all about me. And see, that's why sin has no place in God's family and that we have to work harder at allowing the Holy Spirit and listening to the Spirit's leading and guiding and how, how critical self-rule is and how important it is that we know that self is the biggest deterrent from being the way Jesus wants us to be. Self is what takes us into sin. So everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know, right away, John, as he makes that, that big statement about there's no room for sin, it is not It is not at all what he wants in our lives. He wants us to change. Now, it says that when we know this is, but we know, we know that even if we do, and we will, that doesn't give us a license to say, well, you know, that's okay. We're still trying to work at this. But what a beautiful first to follow, but you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. John is saying, but you know Jesus came. Jesus came and he came to take away your sins. He came to take your sins away past, present, and future. And in him is no sin. The one who took our sins Knew no sin. No one who lives in him. No one. Now do you hear these words? And that's why you can't go fast. No one who lives in him. If you profess. If you love Jesus. If you are grateful for what he's done for you. No one who lives in him. Keeps on sinning. Because you don't want to you just you you have been changed no one who continues to sin has either seen him or know him in other words i think he's really talking in the next verses he's talking about not the slip ups that we make because the lord can see our heart and he knows that we're we're trying and there's potential there he's talking about The habitual sin—the sin that you know you're doing, but you don't care, and you're keeping it up—and hey, I've told this story so many times, but I'm still kind of stunned by it. That when when we were talking about how gossip is sin, and that when we were getting right down to it, when you start, you know, when you start individualizing sin—what's your weakness? What do you happen to fall into? Critical spirit. Negativism, you know, sometimes it's just an attitude that we just get like and But this, this gal, when we're talking about gossip, I mean, she just looked right at me and said, I like to gossip, gossip and no one's going to tell me I can't. I mean, that's that belligerent, that's that defiant. If you have been convicted of a sin and you know that it's wrong and you just... Continue to do it no matter what. Even though you know that it's a direct command, it's something that the Holy Spirit says, I'll work with you on if you just have a desire to do what the word says. If you do not want to change... Then he goes on pretty close. He goes pretty close and he says, Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. Do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous just as he is righteous. He's saying, Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. That's really important. Don't let anyone, and, now, and who's leading you astray? I mean, it can just be, even if you're out, let's say you're with friends, and, and you know that maybe a certain activity or, or what, you know that your conscience has been pricked, or you know what God has said on this subject, or you even can sense his spirit trying to pull you away, and and yet, you're just so consumed with what they're going to think of you that you just go along with it. And he's saying, dear children, you're the one of the beloved. Look what he came to do for you. Don't you love him enough and are grateful enough that you don't have the strength to be able to say no Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. We have been declared right, not in anything we've done, but when you've come to the cross, you have been given a new name, and that's righteous, righteous one. And we should be working at, and he's given us the tools, the Holy Spirit, that communication line through prayer, God word, he's given us so many, so many wonderful tools to be able to do what he has commanded us. He hasn't just sent us out there to live, to, to live Christ-like character and saying, well, good luck, it's not going to be easy, but no he's given us the tools. How much do you want it? How much are you willing to work at it? And John is saying, "Oh, you are going to be it's going to be so easy to be led astray because they're going to be dangling bait in front of you that you, in your human nature, are naturally want to want to gravitate to. But dear children, one of the beloved, do not do not let anyone lead you astray." He who does what is right is righteous. And then look at this. He who does what is sinful is of the devil. That means when you listen to your own self, when you are more conscientious about about pleasing you or more concerned about what someone else is going to think, you are being led by the devil. That doesn't mean that the devil possesses you and that he lives inside of you. You can be one of God's children. It says it right there. But you can't get lax about this. You can't just think that, that, that it's, oh, I can choose my days of when I want to act and be the way God wants me to be. He who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. You're supposed to be changed, and I can't. I went right to um, Ephesians 4. In Ephesians 4, Paul, Paul taught these words in verse 22. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. See, Paul's not even blaming anybody else here. He's saying, if you, if you aren't working at this, if you aren't really desiring to want to hear God's voice because you're so grateful for what he's done, I know I keep repeating myself, but that's where it goes back to because it is hard, and, and, but it will be so worth it. He's saying, you have, to, you have to not want to go back to that old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and that is you. That is what we're naturally going to do in and of ourself if we aren't utilizing God's power, God's spirit. But instead, be made new in the attitude of your minds. See, you've got to make a mind change. I don't want to do that. I don't want to be like that anymore. I want to change because he goes on to say, instead of the old self, you put on the new self. The new self is, you're not listening to you, you're listening to him, because your desire is to be like him and purify your heart more and more so that you have Christ's character instead of your own. Our new self has been created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul is so good about because he he saw in in himself. He he knew what he used to be and he was very religious. And and he was naming all his credentials one day and he said all of those earthly credentials that, that I thought made me somebody. I count all those credentials as nothing compared to what Jesus has done. And he saw such a change in himself from being that Pharisee preacher, and I'm sure he was very eloquent and intelligent, and then his sermons changed into, I preach Jesus and him crucified. So Paul saw, that's why he wrote many times in his letters about that change, that we don't look at sin the same anymore. We don't want to be a part of it anymore. He has just plain done too much for me. For me to just blatantly slap him in the face and do what I want, knowing full well that it's going to hurt him. No one who is born of God will continue to sin. There again, he's talking about that—that that habitual sin. You and I should not. We should not. We should really be taking a a good look at what keeps pulling me down. Does sin have me? Does this weakness have me in a headlock? And Satan is just able to do all kinds of things with this weakness because I haven't been willing to surrender it and have the desire to let it go. Because Jesus, when he, when he wrote these words down for us through these different people, he had a plan that you and I would be changing and would be having a desire to become more and more like him. But there were terms. There are terms when it comes to how we come to Christ, there are terms there's only one way we need to repent we need to see ourselves as as worthless and needy so we come to the cross of Christ that's the only way. That's that we have seen that those are the terms. There are no other terms to be saved. There's no name under heaven, no other name under heaven that we can be saved other than the name of Jesus. Those are terms, but he also has terms on how we are to live. See, John is trying to say that that our behavior really matters. Our character I always say, I wear Jesus' name on my back. I wear it coming out of my mouth. Then I better, if I am so good at wearing it and, and, and talking it, then I better be living it. I better be doing what he says. And, and I think John is very blunt. No one, no one, If you have really come into that relationship like he talked in chapter 1, you're in that remaining in him and he's remaining in you, you're abiding in him and he's abiding in you, you won't continue in that habitual sin that you know is wrong. Because God's seed remains in him and he cannot go on sinning because he's born of God. We should be changing so much that sin just makes us sick. It should make us sick. This is how we know who who are the children of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Did you notice that? Wow, you're either a child of God or you're a child of the devil. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God. Now again, I I want to reiterate, yeah, we're all gonna slip up as long as we live in these bodies and live in this earth. Until we're a part of the new heaven and new earth or what so we know that we will sin, but I think you understand what John is talking about here. You have got to get rid of some of that old character that has just done nothing but take you in the wrong direction. It was hurtful. It hasn't lifted anybody up. It's left you maybe even doom and gloom and hopelessness and despair and depressed. He's saying, would you think about it? Would you, would you use the tools that I've given you? And would you hear me speaking to you and tell you how much you're loved? How much I want you to change so that you can be like me. That's what Jesus is saying. That's what Jesus is using John to make sure we know. John is pretty much saying, he did it to me. He can do it to you. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God. Nor is anyone who does not love his brother. Now this is going to open up the next section of this chapter. Very simple. How do you know that you're one of his children? Well, it's pretty much, he pretty much says You can tell by how you've changed, how important Christ is to you. How much is he worth to you? Enough to want to change and and be like him and work at this and not listen to the ones who are trying to lead you astray and cause you to worry and panic and feel insecure. To, to think that you've got to do and be if you want to um, have any worth at all. When we know that our worth was found at the cross, So how do we know when we're his child one of his children is that we can just tell from from our insides and how we think and our attitude and how we're changing. And then he goes on and says, and how you love one another. See, and these two things perfectly display Jesus. And John says that we are to purify ourselves to become more and more like Jesus here and that someday we will totally be completely like him. But until that day, we've got to be working at becoming more and more like Jesus. And I'm telling you, no one, no one had more righteous conduct than Jesus and no one loved everyone like Jesus. Jesus And when we follow Jesus' example, that's when you know you're one of his children. And now he gets on that subject. This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Last week we talked about the old command and the new command and I just love merging those two commands together because if you love the Lord, you're God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength. And then loving one another, Jesus says, as I have loved you. This is what he expects. Do you know how we treat others Really? matters to God. How we treat others really truly matters to God. That's why we can't just flip this off. And what a day and age. I mean, I don't think we would even be going through what, we would, what we're would, we going through right now is if everybody was grounded in God's word, everybody heard and followed God Jesus' words and example because how we treat each other really matters to him and that is one of the two proofs that we're one of his children. How we relate to one another. How we care for one another. It says nothing. Do you notice that then when when we're reading this and doesn't say anything about color or nationality or no when you're in God's family when you're one of the one of his children we not only love God with all of our heart soul mind and strength but then he working in us through his spirit will cause us to love one another And then he gives this example, do not be like Cain. Right away in Genesis, do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. Look what bad choices can do. I'm sure Cain and Abel were were taught the same way. I don't think they took Abel aside and taught him one way and then they let Cain just run wild and I think they were both taught. But see, right here you can see one makes a choice to say yes to God and obeying him. And one says, nope, self is, I want self to be in control. No one's going to tell me what to do. So John says, do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. I don't think that's too hard to understand and I don't think I need to explain it to you. One of two choices. He always gives us just two choices. There are only two roads. Because his own actions were evil that's why that that was his choice and his brothers were righteous and look how behavior and attitude and mindset look how that that governs you do not be surprised my brothers if the world hates you yeah that's always been a Pill to swallow. I mean, we are naturally people that want to be liked and accepted, and here it's very clear from Jesus, and John learned it from Jesus. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. And that's that's not um, that's not fun, but he is warning us. So again, don't be surprised. But I think there's something we should be surprised of. And that is to see hatred among the brothers. I think that it is, it's, I mean, we've been warned that we shouldn't be surprised that the world's going to hate us. And why? Because right away in in the third, in the first part of chapter three is, The reason the world does not know you is because they don't know know him. And so John says it again in a really clear, don't be surprised when the world hates you. But I couldn't help but think, but what should surprise, surprise us is when there is so much hatred among the body of Christ. And hatred is a strong word. In fact, I even looked it up. I mean, I know what hate is, but I just kind of wanted to know the dictionary definition. And it used words like dislike intensely or loathe or even ill will. If you hate someone enough, you don't care what happens to them. and we can see from that example of Cain and Abel I mean Cain he disobeyed he hated he was miserable and it led him to a bad place and you say well it didn't lead Abel into a good place well it sure did right into the hands of God and that that is what we're looking toward but we should be very surprised when we see such hatred and division and discord among among the children of God. There's no place for that. Verse 14, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Again, another a basic proof that we've been born again, that we've been changed. Is that our attitude has changed, and we know we know that because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Now, when we talk about this word love, you know there's different kinds of love, and I mean there's obviously there's a sexual love and there's a family love, and there's a brotherly affection. Kind of fellowship you know with your friends and that kind of love, but the love that is being described by John is the love that Jesus had for you and I, that unconditional no strings attached. I'll love you no matter. Sometimes, you know, in our relationships, we should just double check every once in a while if we've got a different kind of love than the love that God wants us to have for each other. Do we love if you do for me? Or I'll love you because you. Or can you just say because you know how graciously you have been loved and you know the. Definition of grace is undeserved favor. When you let that grace, the way you've been loved, then come out of you, that's real love. Expecting nothing in return. That's why Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. You take people as they are. You accept them the way they are. That's what Jesus did. Now, does that mean that you are condoning? No, but you know what? Sin is sin. You're a sinner. They're a sinner. And the beautiful thing is when Jesus said, I want you to love others the way I have loved you, Jesus always made sure they knew that there was another way. And then what they decide to do with it is up to them. to make sure that we are willing to love, that, that, that people feel accepted and that they feel secure with us. But then because as they get to know us, they know that we believe God's word and God's terms. And as we teach them, just as we were taught God's terms, we teach them. And then they too have a choice of whether they're going to accept it or reject And that's not up to us. All we're told to do is love, take them as they are, and make sure they know what God's word says. But always foremost remember that whenever you're reading God's word and you're going to tell someone what God expects, make sure that that you've been there that you know what he expects from you. That you are no better than anyone else and we all come to the cross the same way. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. Boy, it really makes you think, doesn't it? See, it makes you think that, you know, well, you know, I don't do these big sins that are so noticeable. But he's saying, if you hate your brother, you're committing the sin of murder. See how we we have just kind of poo-pooed a lot of this and we have just kind of gotten ourselves so to believe that we're okay and that we're fine and I think this is very convicting and makes you think. And again, if every Christian would listen to the words that John wrote because he experienced them and knows that they're true, I think we would have a changed heart, then we would change our attitude, That then we'd change our actions. And what a different world it would be. And you know what? People just might want to come along And they might even ask why we are the way we are. And maybe we could even see more people come to Christ because of who we are instead of despite where we are. Maybe at the end of this I'll read those ten sins that Jesus can't stand most. Because I think we get a little haughty sometimes, thinking that those sins aren't seen. Even though down deep we know he sees everything. But John really spells it out. This is how we know what love is. Like I said before, we'll go into it more in the next chapter, chapter four, but this is how we know what love is. This is what real love looks like. Jesus Christ laid down his life for you and for me. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. I know people get nervous when they see that. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you literally give your life the way Jesus did. But you know what it means? Putting yourself aside. It means selflessness. And it sounds so easy to do, but it isn't, because it's so contrary to our human nature. But this is how we can know what real love is. It's when we see ourselves change into someone who is naturally selfish, and we watch the change of selflessness start to take over. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? you got to almost read that with that kind of expression because it's ridiculous. The fact that Jesus gave his all so that we could be brought back because we were a doomed mess, he was willing to leave heaven and become a human? To shed blood? And that love now is supposed to be living in you? And you see someone in need? I'm telling you, it's this. How can the love of God be in you? It's not possible. Dear children, beloved... Let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Ah, words are cheap. But what's beautiful is the truth of the words that go through your heart where the Holy Spirit will take, those, will take that truth and turn those words into action. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth, and how we set our hearts at rest in His presence. To me, I think that that verse means that I have my conscience is clear, and I know that my actions were what He expected, and He is pleased. I mean, as parents, don't we love them when our children have manners at the right time and they have good behavior when they need to be? And, and oh, we're just, we're just so pleased with them. I think that's, I think that that's what we can think that God is. He's pleased with us. We can know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. We can know that he's pleased with us. When our heart whenever our hearts condemn us. Why did John put that? Do you know that our hearts our heart can be, can be tricky sometimes? It's kind of tricky, because sometimes um, our heart is telling us one thing. Our heart can start to doubt. Sometimes our heart can be used by the enemy himself to cause that doubt, or to say, did God really promise that he would be there always? That all things will turn out for good? That he will supply what I need? Sometimes our heart, sometimes our heart is going in the wrong direction. And this is what he says. He says, "I want you to know that even when your heart tries to take you in the wrong direction of doubt, or you don't have that blessed assurance." He says, even when, when the enemy just wants to pull that assurance away from you, you can fight back with the truth. And the truth is that he is there with more power. For God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. He can tell that that our heart is trying to take us in one direction but then he will use our mind with the Holy Spirit and we can even fight off even those doubts because you can say, I know the Bible said Jesus told me I'm not going to let my heart go in that direction for God is greater than my heart And he knows everything. And what he said he means. And I can count on it. Let's take for example this question. Do you know, do you absolutely know that that you're going to heaven? I've heard many, many people unfortunately even on their deathbed. They've been wonderful Christians all their life. And yet on their deathbed, there all of a sudden this panic, this worry, this fear. Even I've heard people say, Well, I hope so. I think so. See, I think this is what John is trying to say here. Jesus said, Jesus promised. And even though the enemy might want to put doubt, you can confidently say, yes, I am going to heaven. I will be with my Savior. I'm just using that as an example. There's so many things that we start to question. Especially when we live in such an unrest world. He's saying that what the news wants to lead you astray or if you're, even your heart wants to start worrying and, and doubting, is God really in control? And John is trying to say to you and I, because we know him, we with confidence can say he sure is. And I know who wins, and I know how this is going to turn out because I'm one of his children. And no one or nothing can change that. Dear friends, beloved, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. If God said it, you can believe it. And that should settle it. Even when maybe your mind wants to take your heart and you start... No. Stop it. If our hearts do not condemn us, if we don't let that heart do that, then we can say with confidence that this is what God said. We have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. See, John or Jesus say this a couple times. When, when you and I are in a right relationship, when I abide in you and you abide in me, when we're walking together, you can ask me anything. You can ask me anything because you are obeying the commands we're doing, we're walking together hand in hand, step by step. You receive. You will see, receive from anything you ask because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. We're, we're working together. We want what he wants because we know that he knows best and wants the best for us but he also knows what we need to go through and what we need to be taught to be able to have that kind of confidence instead of being being swayed away. And this is his command. To believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Again, this is his command. Two things. is that we believe in the name of Jesus and what he came to do for us. And to also love one another. And those who obey his commands live in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us we know it by the spirit he gave us that's how you and i know the spirit wants to keep telling us what keep reminding us of what we've learned and keep teaching us because we have so much more to learn the holy spirit wants to show us all what we can be all we can be in him Oh, how we can change and be like him. It sounds like an impossible feat, but it's possible. He said, not through anything that you and I can do, but the Holy Spirit wants to change our old self into a new self. Again, I say these words from Paul. He wrote them in Romans 8, verse 16. Romans 8. Verse 16, Paul says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The Holy Spirit wants to connect with our spirit, and the Holy Spirit's job is to continuously remind us who we are in Christ Jesus. We are children of God. What a way to live. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for the truth and showing us very firmly and plainly that as grateful as we are for our salvation, there is real proof that our salvation is real. And that proof is very visible. Not only how much we love you, but how it changes us into righteous living. And then how we love others. And that matters to you. Father, we want to represent you well. We want to wear Jesus' name, because if it wasn't for him, all this would be impossible. But Father, we do want to please you not only because you are worthy, but because you deserve it. Thank you for your unconditional love. And may that kind of love be working through us. And without being too dramatic, we could change the world. And we pray this all in our Savior's name. Amen.